About this film, Roger Ebert says, as a premise for a thriller, this is a masterstroke. Marjorie Baumgarten of the Austin Chronicle says it's one of the first movies to make young and old alike sit up and notice that there was a brave new world out there. And Letterboxd user David Bates says, I don't think I've ever yelled oh shit while watching a movie this many times. Shall we play a game? On this episode of Ruined Childhoods, we decide the fate of war games. Which one will it be? It's the Ruined Childhood Podcast. Greetings, Starfighters. Welcome to Ruined Childhoods. I'm Dan. With hey, me and I'm John. John. Oh, uh, I, I always jump the gun on that. Let me, yeah, you know, I, I need a, you know, I take a pause and, and then, you know, give you your, you know, you need to have your moment. You need to have your spotlight. This is our time. Yeah, this is our time down here in this basement <laughs> where I record these. This is our time. Uh, literally the few minutes per week when we can actually squirrel away the time to record this uh, each episode. But here we yeah. are. It really is. So, uh, John, how are you? I'm doing okay. I have had a nice little week off from work, and I am excited to talk about war games with you, uh, as well as probably many other things, because we tend to kind of go off on little uh, little tangents here and there. But you know what? That's all part of well, it. That's fine. And, you know, and we've got some some news, some current events to to chat about as well. Uh, for instance, uh, the photos that popped up from the, uh, allegedly the set of Beverly Hills Cop, Axel Foley, aka Beverly Hills mm. Cop 4, uh, right. pictures that show John Ashton and Judge Reinhold. Love that. So perhaps, uh, Taggart and Rosewood. Uh, are are back together again? Uh, so we we talked about Beverly Hills Cop. Uh, once upon a time, we did an, an episode on Beverly Hills Cop. If I we did right, <laughs> yes, we did. We we absolutely did. And uh, so yeah, I don't know, John. What are you feeling? Like I feel like we talked at the time. There were like kind of these attempts at like a Beverly Hills Cop series, like TV series, and right. I, I you don't know, know what. I, I think that it's as long as you can get the uh, the OG cast of characters back. If if we can get Bronson Pinchot in there, uh, I think that it'd be really delightful. It's one of those ones where because the third isn't very beloved, I feel like coming back for a fourth isn't in any way going to ruin anybody's childhoods because <laughs> it, in effect the third one kind of took things to maybe too far for some people. Uh, I particularly like the third one. I think it's fun. It's it's something different. Um, but I think that, you know, if you have Eddie Murphy and, and the gang and the gang, the original gang back together, then it could be a lot of fun. 
Yeah, I I guess it's I think for me it's the question of at what point does it do, do at what point do I want to see these characters back together again and then like and then you know on the other hand do I just want to see them like chat like on a panel and talking about yeah. you know so it's i guess it's kind of like if there's a good reason for them to be back together well i think about it this way i imagine that there's also a lot of um i i don't know uh opportunity there's been enough time since the last one where i feel like there is a good chance that you could bring it back in a way that feels all right and feels appropriate. Um, I'm curious to see what they would do with it. I don't know if there are enough questions about this, the original trilogy that would, you know, I'd really like need to see a panel on it. Um, I don't know. I'm sure that, it, you know, you could learn some interesting things here and there. I think that'd be great to get like Jonathan Banks in there to talk about his experience. Right. You know, yeah. As I was, a, I was a young about thug. Him. Yeah. So I, I don't know. I, I'm curious just to see where, where things can go from, from here. Yeah. It's interesting. And uh, it, it actually, it kind of brings up another question, another uh, you know, something I was thinking about and like just how, you know, 30 years ago, 25, 30 years ago. And I think, you know, that's the kind of the answer to my not not really a question. Uh, but 25, 30 years ago, like that would have been a bit like is a big deal when Beverly Hills Cop 3 was it's oh, yeah. Wow. OK. Oh, I can't wait to see right. like, you yeah. know see pictures from it uh and you know before everything was just all over the internet but between that and then i think i feel like it's being made for netflix that's fine and it's fine so i'm it's fine but i was thinking about it because i was thinking about just like all of these all of these projects that would have been such big news as you know to me as a younger uh moviegoer and i don't know if it's just because i'm i'm older and have less bandwidth to follow uh the the movie business uh to the extent that i that i used to or if like if there's such if there's just so much like access like does it feel i'm like does it feel like less of a big deal that like oh okay great i can i can watch this on prime i can watch this like long-awaited sequel yeah. to something and and like like, like pray pray is a good example uh, although on the other hand i don't know that i feel like the pandemic has kind of still had its impact on movie going at least for me i haven't been to a movie theater since and I I just keep thinking about how like oh man like this would have been like coming to a like a sequel to coming to America like that would have been huge and then it's just like when it can just like drop on prime and when I'm like oh 1201 a.m. I can watch the long awaited sequel to Beverly Hills Cop or coming to America or whatever it, not just Eddie Murphy movies either right 
I don't know. What's your, you get where okay. I'm going. Yeah. So here's where I sit with that. And this is specifically talking about the long awaited sequels. The leg- uh, legacy sequels, I believe, right. is the term. So I think that it's important to look at these films as being financial decisions. It's all about like, okay, how can we, you know, make up this, you know, part of our budget uh, for this year? Like, how can we make sure that we are, you know, making enough money to be able to sustain ourselves? And honestly, it's a really shitty reason. And I wish it wasn't true, but that's how these decisions are made. That's why we have all of the, you know, Jurassic World movies. It's why we get all of the Marvel everythings is because they're great financial decisions. And when you attach, uh, you know, high quality performers and filmmakers to them, it definitely helps them achieve their financial goals. And if... And if the filmmaker can at the same time get something of high quality in there, then that's also a different story. But I think that's also why we don't, you know, it's really important to be looking also at the, um, you know, what's happening in independent film. And when I say independent film, I also recognize that a lot of these more independent uh, distributors or, or production companies are maybe owned by some of the bigger ones, but they're able to do a lot more, take a lot more risks because they're not spending as much on these films themselves. And so there's the ability to kind of make something maybe that's more fresh or to do a follow-up on a movie that uh, maybe isn't a huge blockbuster success, you know, while doing it still creatively. And I think that when it comes to something like Beverly Hills Cop 4, um, you know, that's kind of a, you know what, Eddie Murphy, we did Coming to coming to America, the number two, and uh, that, you know, fulfilled a certain subscriber number quota and there were this many viewers and so on and so forth, then you can say, all right, well, that can be done again with another one of these properties that is, you know, is tested and and proven. And I, I don't know. I, I think that it's the kind of thing where that to me isn't a movie where I'm going to necessarily get excited about it. Um, but it is something, it's like a little new piece of candy. It's a shiny new toy and it's just something to enjoy while you're kind of not really paying much attention. But when you have an opportunity to see something that is of higher quality, something maybe more on the independent side of things, even if it does go straight to streaming, that's the one that's maybe more that, you know, something that you'd want to pay more attention to. Well, and that's, and you know, it's like, yeah, that's kind of, that's the, the flip side to it is that, um, you know, streaming allows, uh, uh, you know, allows so many more people that'll watch a movie like, like a Nomadland or Power of the Dog 
yeah. you know, they can watch, they can easily, they can watch it on Netflix they can, or, or Hulu. And, you know, more people probably saw films like that because of like, because they were especially um, something like Power of the Dog, which was streaming yeah. when it was in the theater. Sure. Uh, which is, I think, like, and I think, I feel like that's the model, and uh, I, I don't know, like, I've spoken before about my nostalgia for especially, like, summer movies, and going to see movies that are, like, unforgettable, and it, it, if you look at, like, old, like, the movies of summer's past, I have a friend who, on uh, Instagram, will every now and again post, like, he'll find digitized versions of like the movie pages from his new, like hometown newspaper of when, like, like when he was a kid in the early eighties. So he'll like, he'll post pictures of it. And it's, first of all, it's so much fun to see like the, uh, like the ads, especially. Oh yeah. So excited. yeah, and because I just I remember like looking at the papers, like oh shit, this is this movie that was coming out. Oh, where is it playing? And oh man, oh do I have to like go all the way up to Montclair to to see it? <laughs> like uh, so. Anyway, my my point is, um, you know, the independent films are really where you're seeing uh a lot more originality and a lot less of these like legacy films that you said are financial decisions and i'm sure that top gun maverick the success of top gun maverick uh didn't hurt the uh the chances of uh legacy sequels getting greenlit so no 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 and i know that also top gun maverick very intentionally you know put off its release for a long time in order to ensure that it would have a successful theatrical release and not go straight to streaming because in its, in the production's view, it was necessary to be seen on the big screen. And I think that when you do have somebody like Tom Cruise behind it, you have the ability to make that kind of a decision. Right. And that that brings up another interesting point. And I know, you know, we will will definitely get get to war games. But uh, like, I feel like the role of the star is so much different these days. Like, I feel like and I haven't seen Top Gun Maverick, but from what I know about it, you probably could have made the same movie without it having anything to do with Top Gun. Um but I think, like, I think whereas, like, the original Top Gun, like, it was Tom Cruise's star power that brought people in to see him. I don't think as many people, I mean, probably older fans, people who old enough sure. to see the original. But I don't think, I think, it, I think you know, a lot of your audience for Top Gun Maverick were probably people who were just like, oh, I heard that there are some, like, cool as shit sequences that you got to see in the theater. And that well, is just like, it's worth going to the theater to see. Just to add to that, uh, as a a casual observer of TikTok, uh, I know that there is definitely a lot of, um, I wouldn't call it hysteria, but there was a moment made of like Miles Teller. Like people seem to really just figure out who Miles Teller was when, to- when Top Gun Maverick came they out. They did not see Whiplash. 
No, but that's not their kind of movie. The movie where there's a guy taking his shirt off is maybe their more their type of movie. And J.K. You know, Simmons if, not take his shirt off and whiplash. Am no, I he takes that up? a uh, he throws a chair at him. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. I often mistake the two. So I uh, I think that there's a lot that's that goes into viral marketing and. Uh, you know, people sharing clips from trailers and things like that, and then the system kind of feeds itself. I think that there's something similar going on with the marketing, and I I don't want to say that this is... I, I'm not saying there's a, a conspiracy going on with the movie Don't Worry Darling. Oh, but, wow, but yeah. I, I know that, you know, the, the social media frenzy behind that movie, and not even at all about what the movie is or anything, but just about the cast and the director of the movie going into it, it's just complete madness. And it almost feels like this is the greatest publicity stunt ever in order to... Uh, to get people to want to watch this movie so that they can be watching and looking for coded messages. But oh, it totally, it feels like, and uh, my wrestling fans are, are going to know what I'm, what I'm going to say here. It totally feels like a work. It totally feels like it, 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 it might be a, a, a work shoot, meaning like there might be some legitimacy around it. Like, you know, Florence Pugh, getting a, a little uh, uh, pissed off that like uh, her director and co-star are like sneaking off together. Well, there's I, way more to it. Than oh, that. I, I'm sure. I, I know. I know. I know. I, I'm sure there. I, I only read like I basically clicked on a, a Time Magazine tweet. It was like, what do you need to know about the don't worry? And I was like, well, I don't need to know anything about it, but so, I'm curious. So let me tell you what's what's happened even within the past week. That's kind of fed into. I know this. about the spit thing. Well, the spit thing is just this weird. It, nothing happened, uh, but just it's be- give me a synopsis. Oh no, 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 yeah. no! I mean, you know, the thing is, the the movie's premiering at Venice, and uh, absolutely every move that every single person in the cast and and Olivia Wilde, I'll include who's cast and director, every single move that they make, where the people are standing, who's uh, around for what. Uh, all of those things are being speculated upon by people on social media with a very uh, investigative eye. And, you know, you you need to post something, so you've, you're looking for whatever you can possibly find. Meanwhile, you also have uh, the whole situation behind Olivia Wilde and her, uh, you know, relationship status uh, with Jason Sudeikis, and then with Harry Styles and Harry Styles and maybe with Florence Pugh and Florence Pugh and Zach Braff breaking up and uh, all of this nonsense. Uh, meanwhile, you have uh, Nick Kroll and Chris Pine just there, which is wonderful and they're delightful. Right. So, yeah. <laughs> Nick Kroll, uh, come on. Yeah, That's so great. I, I don't know. I think that the whole thing is... Uh... Oh, oh, and then there's also been this whole new thing about... Uh, you know, how Shia LaBeouf was originally going to be cast, but Florence Pugh wasn't comfortable with him, and uh, Olivia Wilde trying to get, you know, Shia LaBeouf and this whole other, and denying it, and blah, 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 blah. Like, oh, all right. this other stuff. Like so, talking shit about Florence Pugh behind, or like kind oh, of being totally. catty. 
Absolutely. I mean, look, I, I know I I know very little and I don't like I don't feel like I need to pick a side, but I, I guess I'm on I'm on Team Pew here. Look, Team Pew all day, every day. Yes. But, you know, it's it's one of those things where it's like if this was all a marketing stunt, then it's the most brilliant marketing stunt ever. Uh, and, it, you know, like thinking about it makes me think of movies like Wag the Dog and, you know, where it's just like setting up all of these fake scenarios in order to make something else happen. And so, right. yeah, it I, would be uh, very it would be a very like savvy decision to say like all right let's we're gonna we're gonna turn this into a work <laughs> we're gonna it, yeah, build no, up because it, more absolutely pe- the, yeah more people will see the movie because of this a hundred percent and that's you know the way and that's you know this is a movie that yeah people would see it uh probably because of the casting in general but now there's maybe people who are going to see it more than once or people who are going to purchase it when it's out on Blu-ray or whatever. I don't know. Uh, it's depends on how naked Harry Styles gets, I think. And if people still even have Blu-ray players. Yeah, true. That we that might have been by the time this episode releases, I, Blu-ray players may be a thing of 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 yesterday. 4K. It's gone, it's it, gone the way of the queen, if it were. Oh, oh, man. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, so that's uh, yeah. Other current events. Uh, And then so also I I saw that Disney just like announced a whole slate of. I don't even look. See, like prequel. We got a Mufasa movie. We got the live action Little Mermaid. We've got an Inside Out 2. Inside Out 2 I'd be psyched for. I'm interested in that. You know what I discovered? I discovered that uh, the the high school students that I teach, who uh, in 2015 when this came out, you know, would have would have been younger, of course, right? Um, but like, not they don't like Inside Out. Really, they're not into it. No, they don't. They they're like they're not down with it. We did one of those, like you know, all right, like here's four of them. Like one's got to go. And it was like Pixar movies and like a lot of them picked Inside Out. And I was like, are really? you crazy? Movie's so good. Yeah. But anyway, yeah. So so Disney is just going and then uh, Pinocchio, the rock. This is another one of those movies that like this would have been huge. This like full page ad in the Star Ledger on Friday when yeah. it comes out. Robert Zemeckis making a live action remake of Pinocchio with Tom Hanks, who like I guess just spent the last couple of years in prosthetics. Uh, yeah. Um. So John and I both watched uh, Baz Luhrmann's Elvis recently. Right, which went on to HBO shortly after being released theatrically. So yep. uh, <laughs> just just the way, just like what we're talking about before, you know, it's it's these money moves to, to get more people to, I don't know. I, I'm sure that HBO, well, I guess there's more money in subscriptions, yeah. maybe more money in subscriptions than ticket sales. Yeah. I... Uh, yeah, I don't know. Anyway, Baz Luhrmann's Elvis is it, Baz Luhrmann's Elvis. That's yeah. exact. That is what it is. So, 
<laughs> you know what you're if you've heard of Baz Lerman, you're familiar with his work, you know what you're getting into. Uh so so yeah, so Disney is just uh just mining mining the archives there. Yeah, so uh just to kind of touch on the Disney Marvel Star Wars all of the everything. Predator. Uh What's that? Predator. Yeah, they oh, own yeah, Predator. That's Fox. Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, because oh, yeah. of Fox, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So here's where I am right now with Marvel. I feel like after I, you know, I've I've seen a couple of the movies after like the Avengers saga has kind of come to a close, and now they're kind of doing, you know, like I, I went and I saw Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, and I went and I saw, um, geez, one of the other ones I can't remember, but I feel like I'm Spider-Man. just kind of. Spider-Man's a different story. Spider-Man's kind of Spider-Man kind of lives in its own world. But uh well, m- many worlds if if you're familiar. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. But I am just kind of done with those. I've been like I watched a few episodes of She-Hulk, um which was fine. Uh I like Tatiana Maslany. Uh she's good. <laughs> so, but it's just like I think that I'm I think I'm okay. I think I'm good now. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I've been there, been there for a while. I always have some curiosity around around the Marvel movies, but I think since um, Infinity War, I think that was the one that really killed it for me. Because at a you certain stopped point, before Endgame. I mean, yeah, I watched Endgame on a plane. Uh, okay, and I liked it, but Infinity War at a certain point, I felt like like I left the movie theater. And I was like, I feel like I just sat there for three hours of sound effects and colors flashing and things going whoosh and boom. And I did not give a shit. There was some interesting stuff. I don't know. I did not give a shit. Eh, that's fine. But yeah. anyway, I mean, that that's look, that's. That's me. Uh, I'm. I, I've always been more of a DC person, so it's kind of <laughs> unfortunate that the DC movies, yeah, by and large, just yeah. it's it's like just stop. You just want. I'm just like as a DC fan. I'm like I want you to just stop. Just stop doing. You don't have to do. It. Not everything needs to be a universe, right? Like every thirty years or so, do a Superman, do a Batman. Like, get, you know, maybe it's just I'm a cranky old man and that's the way I, I grew up was, you know, you'd get a superhero movie every, you know, 10, 10 or so years and and you were got excited for it and, and you liked it. So, well, yeah. I guess that that's our way of saying they don't make them like they used to, much like 1983's War Games. Man. Yeah, they sure don't make them like like war games anymore. Yeah. Before we actually launch into it, I want to just uh, let everybody know that if you uh, want to reach out to us, uh, we have a link in this episode's description with uh, our link tree that'll show you all of the different ways that you can get in touch with us. Email us, ruinchildhoodspot at gmail.com, because we'd love to hear your thoughts about all of the stuff that we're talking about. And we yeah. usually mention this at the end of the episode, but in case you don't get there, like that's all the information. <laughs> and I uh, just want to get it out there, um, you know, as early as possible. 
Uh, in case because... you only clicked uh, download to listen to us banter at the beginning and not to actually hear about war games. No, but, and I'm yeah. excited to talk about war games. War games As am rules. I. As am I. War games is a great movie. Uh, so, John, why don't we dive into it? Do you want to just uh, synopsize away? I would love to. Greetings. Yesterday's aim was interrupted, although primary goal has not yet been achieved. Solution is near. Game time elapsed. 31 hours, 12 minutes, 50 seconds. Estimated time remaining 52 hours, 17 minutes, 10 seconds. What is the primary goal? In an effort to get a sneak peek at a video game company's upcoming releases, high schooler David Lightman attempts to hack into the company's server from his bedroom, but instead, David not only hacks into a NORAD system designed to simulate and carry out actual war scenarios, but he accidentally initiates one of its protocols, nearly triggering World War III. Now under suspicion that he's a Soviet operative, David is taken in by the FBI and questioned, but what David discovered is that the technology he hacked into won't quit until it wins by following through on its objectives. David, with help of his sweetheart Jennifer, tracks down Dr. Falcon, the designer of the AI to help end its reign of chaos. So uh, Matthew Broderick plays David, Dabney Coleman is Dr. Jack McKittrick. He's a government dude who's all, uh, he wants to go all in on this it's called Whopper, this, this machine called Whopper that was developed by Dr. Stephen Falcon, uh, played by John Wood, uh, to uh, essentially be the one to uh, carry out these missile launches when humans, uh, I don't know, clam up. Yeah, well, there, yeah, there's a yeah. whole scenario that they play through in the beginning, and, and a young it's Michael intense. Madsen and a relatively young John Spencer uh in a scene where it's a it's a drill and uh you know they're both supposed to turn their keys to launch the missile and John Spencer just doesn't have it in him yeah it's intense it's really intense uh we yeah. have Ali Sheedy as Jennifer and um let's see who else do we have in here um that pretty much covers the Barry the, Corbin or Barry. Yeah, Corbin. but I'm just thinking about yeah. the, you know, more recognizable people. You uh, get a glimpse of William H. Macy. That's right. Oh, my God. Didn't even, re- didn't even it's like with the register field trip. Yeah. Or ad field trip. That's right. Uh, and also, I want to point out that uh, somebody who we've mentioned a few times in here Eddie Deason is yes. in the movie as Malvin. Yes. Uh, just this kind of like computer nerdy guy who kind of gives David a bit of a, a bit of a hint to, to decoding something. Yes. Eddie Deason, who you might remember as Eugene in Greece, among other roles. In Greece most... too. And, and both Greases. Yeah. Yeah. He's featured more in the original, but that's, that's for a yeah. Greece episode, which we, we have done. So Yes, it's happened. Yes. Uh, and uh, I got to say, I actually just the other day watched another Matthew Broderick classic, Election, and I was oh. like, man, he's such a baby in this. And then I'm just like, but in War Games, he was like a child. This was his screen debut. Amazing. His first movie. 
uh, war games. And yeah, so he would go on to have uh, quite a career. And John Hughes, especially him and Ali Sheedy. Yeah. Uh, so, and I don't think this was Ali Sheedy's uh, screen screen debut. Um, directed by John Badham. John Badham made right, uh, right, right. Some of the most fun, like uh, popcorn movies. Uh, I, he made a movie I really like called The Hard Way, which I, I, I it, it stars James Woods. Which I was is gonna say, I, isn't that James Woods? I haven't been able to watch it in a long time because I'm yeah. like, oh, I watched. I look at. Oh yeah, so Ali Sheedy. Yeah, uh, Ali Sheedy was also in Bad Boys. Bad, yeah, Bad Boys, not the Sean uh, Penn one. Yeah, the Sh- Sean Penn, not Will Smith. Um, uh, though they both like hitting. Um. Well, which so, one came out first is the question. Bad Boys. Okay. Bad Boys came out first. Oh, you know who else is in the cast that, that whoa, whoa, deserves whoa, whoa, whoa. a mention? Hold on, whoa, hold on whoa, one whoa. second. I want to point yeah. out that John Badham also did Saturday Night Fever oh, and yeah. uh, Stakeout and Short Circuit, which did was our Blue first Thunder? episode. I think he yes, did, yeah. Yes, uh, yes. Blue Thunder is another great one that he did. Just, I remember like a lot of his movies. It, it would instead of it saying a John Badham film, it would say a John Badham movie, and you're and I always got the huh. impression it's like oh, he doesn't take himself too seriously. Of course, War Games it says a John Badham film. So uh, there you go. Also in the cast who deserves some mention, James Tolkien, who you would recognize as uh, Mr. Strickland. Uh, oh from Back to yeah. The Future. Yes, man. So he... also, uh, Loomis in Masters of the Universe. How could right. I neglect mentioning that? So yeah, so <laughs> War Games. Um, yeah, and this was like just, this is just one of those like big like movies of the eighties. And I remember well, like long before seeing it, I knew what it was, and the, the whole the the premise of you know, w- would you like to play a game? Right, and uh, shall we play a game? Shall we play a game, yeah. Well, also, Ah. this movie uh, actually encouraged, like, cybersecurity laws to be made. Like, this this movie actually enacted global change, which is pretty (laughs) wild. And it's, uh, if not one of, if not the first, definitely one of the first movies to handle, you know, computer hacking I feel like the there's this scene that takes place in David's bedroom where he's showing Jennifer how the system works to like dial into these systems using a phone line. And I don't know, he like explains how it does what it does. And, you know, at the time there, you know, of course there wasn't security for this kind of a thing. You you had to know a, a phone number and maybe a, a log, some login information, but you know, with the right tools, you can figure all that stuff out. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> this movie was responsible for the Counterfeit Access Device and Computer Fraud and Abuse Act of 1984. Uh, and Re- uh, Ronald Reagan, president, the president at, at the time, um, watched the movie with members of Congress and the Joint Chiefs of Staff. Uh, and it's apparently he's also a, a family friend of one of the screenwriters, Lawrence Lasker. Mm-hmm. And uh, these screenwriters, Lawrence Lasker and Walter F. Parks, also uh, wrote another great film 
about hacking and ha- hacking into government systems. Sneakers. Oh, they did sneakers. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So a very right. Uh, this movie really did in inspire a lot of change. And you know, even I feel like most people think of it as a popcorn film. It did get nominated for three Academy Awards, including cinematography and uh, screenplay. Yeah. So not not too shabby. Not too shabby at all. War games. Yeah. It's really uh, it it is a lot of fun. But there's what's up? Oh, I I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I did have I have one question about a scene in a movie and just your take on it. But but go ahead. Oh, no, 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 no. I was just going to say that. uh, Yes, it's a lot of fun. Uh, There's a lot of things about it where it's just like, how would he know to do that? You know, like there are certain things that are just like a little a little, of course, questionable, but you just kind of accept it. And I. I th- I feel like there's a lot about it that I don't know. It's like, yeah, I could see this kind of a thing happening, and I'm thinking more about like a system like Whopper, you know, yeah. where it's just like taking the the human element out of it, and uh, you know, this system that's kind of creating these scenarios. But um, I I mean, I f- I feel like uh, we're ways off from this this kind of thing actually happening. I'm sure that it happens in a lot of ways, maybe for sure, definitely like simulations and stuff, but not to the extent that Whoppers is doing it. Yeah. I mean, uh, Hey, we look, we don't know. Uh, we don't, we don't know what's, what's happened and what, what we found out about. Um, there, what's interesting about this movie, I have to bring it up because there's just one scene that feels so out of place. Okay. It feels like a scene from Better Off Dead. And I'm talking about this very brief scene between David's parents, the Lightmans, as they are sitting down for dinner and sit down to eat corn. uh, Oh, yeah. Corn on the cob. And the corn, there's this whole exchange about the corn not being cooked Make and and that it's being raw made it more crisp. I was like, "What is this scene doing in this movie? Like, why does like?" <laughs> yeah, that was pretty strange. Um, yeah, I guess I, I, did I, I miss uh, something. <laughs> it it happened so early in the movie that I think that I kind of like forgot about it at a certain point. But yeah, you're right. That's definitely a uh, head scratcher there. It's not, and it's not like this. Like comes back. Um, no. there's. I'm no... sure there was a lot that was cut from this movie. I mean, we don't really <laughs> see his parents ever again. Right. Yeah. It's it's a. Despite the fact that he is taken by the FBI and completely missing, you think that his parents might be concerned? We'd I want mean, to check maybe in with there's them. a whole plot. You know, it is. They kind of remind me of the the parents, um, Malcolm McDowell's parents in uh, Clockwork Orange. Who? Oh yeah. They're just kind of like sitting at the at the kitchen table, and you know, it's like, oh yeah, he said he's got a headache. He's not going to school. I wonder what it is he gets up to at night. Oh, I think he just goes around and helps people. Yeah, right. You know, doing doing like odd jobs for them. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, so I wonder, yeah, I wonder if there were some scenes. Oh, you know what? There is one other time that we see the dad and that's when Jennifer comes over and the dad like lets her into the house and asks her about a crossword question. Oh, right. Yeah. But it's like a very brief, very, very brief thing. Yeah. Um, so I wonder if it's just like these parents are just total space cadets that they're just not paying attention to what's going on with their son at all. Oh, and there's, well, I guess that that's the same scene where he's having the dinner. Is it? Maybe it's not. I'm thinking about when he, uh, gets his report card and his mom's like really excited and they tell him that. Cause he passed all his classes. Well, yeah. Cause he hacked into the system and changed his grades. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Which is, uh, it, it's funny. It's an IMDb trivia moment um, where it's uh, you know Matthew Broderick playing a character who's hacking into the school's computer system as he does in Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Right. Well, you know, if you're good at it, it's like, man, yeah. When you needed someone to hack into something, Matthew Matthew Broderick. Broderick's your guy. Yeah. We need yeah, a mischievous uh, teenager. You know, I feel like I enjoyed the movie more on this viewing than I have in the past. Uh, some of it might be the fact that, you know, Dan, we live in the Pacific Northwest now. I don't think that I saw it while living in the Pacific Northwest. So there is definitely a quality where it's like, oh, there it takes place mostly around Seattle. Um, I, they do go to Denver for, you know, NORAD activity but then it's also like i think all of that was filmed was still filmed in oregon and washington uh, i know that a lot of it was filmed in los angeles as well but there Uh, was definitely a lot that was filmed in various parts of washington they go to snohomish high school right uh dan oh man now i need to like go back and because i found out some interesting information do you know uh who went to high school there at snohomish high school yeah, which in the uh, in the movie, it's not the actual high school, but do you know... It says it on the school when they walk up. It does up. say it on the school, but that's not... It's actually just filmed in Los Angeles. But do oh. you know who, oh, uh, who went there? No. Uh, model and internet celebrity Chrissy Teigen. Oh, okay. Yeah, I thought I remembered hearing something like she was from around here. Yeah, so... That's that's a person uh, looking at yeah. the uh, the IMDb page for that um, uh, that high school and all of the other notable um, people that went there were in sports, NFL people, MLB sportscasters, probably. What's that? Some Olympians. I don't see any Olympians. I'm seeing well, just oh, I guess MLB they would live in Olympia. <laughs> right, MLB, NBA, oh, little Washington uh, State NFL, humor for you. NASCAR. Oh, um, okay. All right. Anyway, yeah, yeah, that's okay. We, you know, celebrities from the uh, greater Seattle area. Um, I mean, we'd be here all day. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, let's see. This takes place. Um. Just, yeah, uh, northeast of Seattle. Yeah. 
Yep. Makes perfect sense. That's where these things happen. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, Big hacker community up there. Big, I mean, there probably is, but... Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I think that just being in this geographical area made, you know, helps you pay attention a little bit more when you hear about things going on in uh, the state where you live. It's just like you, you just listen a little bit harder, I guess. And, yeah. Well, um, especially when it's especially when it's not a place where that's a common setting. No. Uh, yeah. Right. It's not New York or L.A. Yeah, totally. Uh, no, it, it totally works that it's kind of outside of a, you know, different tier of, um, you know, urban metropolitan area. Um, always kind of makes it a little bit more interesting. Uh, so, yeah, I don't know. I, I just really, really enjoyed it. Dan, do you remember your first time seeing this movie? I don't. No. Uh, it was just one of those that was just kind of always, always around. At some point, I saw it. Yeah. I don't remember how. I don't remember why. Don't remember where. <laughs> don't remember when. I know this is very unlike me, but yeah, I saw it at some point and then I watched it again recently uh, to talk about it. And like, you know, it's one of those movies that I remember liking, but just feeling, oh yeah, you know, this is a good one. Like, oh, I need something like what's on while I'm folding laundry. Oh, war games. Okay. I'll put that on the background. You know, and I feel like I appreciated it more now that I have, because I don't know the last time I watched it, but knowing more about the Cold War and knowing more about, you know, the the fears of Russian spies and what people were potentially capable of um, gave it a little bit of extra weight for me. You know, thinking yeah. that this kid could potentially be a Soviet operative, uh, as, you know, having seen the Americans the, in the way, I know that that's just another piece of, uh, you know, historical fiction, but it comes from but, a place, it's, it's well, it's well educated, you know, in its writing. And those are the kind of things that, did happen. And, well, you think um, about there's a, a lot of, uh, you know, film in the 80s really approach that. And if you think about it, like, yeah, really through the, the mid to late 80s, uh, it, there was still that fear that one day someone in yeah. Moscow was just going to decide, uh-uh, all right, today's the day we, we yeah. end it. Uh, I mean, yeah, and it was a big uh, topic of every, everything from, you know, from War Games to Superman for the quest for yeah. peace. Um, uh, there uh, there was another film that popped in into my head that that I completely forgot about. Oh, Little Nikita. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. River Phoenix finds out his parents are uh, similar to the Americans. Uh, sure. Yeah. 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 So yeah. yeah, it was a big it was a big thing, but th this movie really approached it from that like I I felt that this movie really approached it like from an entertainment perspective, but also from a warning perspective, of course because of the resolution of Wh yeah. Whoppers uh, or Joshua the, uh, right. the computers you know, finding, which is, you know, very, not very subtle. 
um, you know, the only way to win is not to play. Right. You know, what's also interesting. Uh, I listened to this podcast series called Wind of Change, where they investigate the uh, alleged story that the Scorpions song Wind of Change was written by the U.S. government to promote the idea of, uh, you know, just general like peace and like the Berlin Wall coming down, like, you democracy know, democracy in in Eastern Europe. Exactly. And, and, so and, and, yeah, I uh, there and there was some invest. There was some investigation in there that talked about, you know, even if this is just a story that somebody made up, there are real uh, situations in which the CIA has infiltrated pop culture in order to uh, push an agenda. And like Nina Simone was kind of somebody who was used in this way. And so these Wha- types of things. Back to wag the dog. Back, wag the dog. Exactly. Good old so, shoe. Yeah. So there are actual real cases in which like their, you know, pop culture has been manipulated in order to enact change. And kind of makes you watch things a little bit differently and make you wonder like you know did was was war games partially written in order to create cybersecurity laws at a time when you know nobody knew what that was so yeah. you write a movie that lays it all out for you <laughs> and you get it in front of the president and you know it's like in that kind of a thing so it's like I'm not I'm not throwing out conspiracy theories, but I'm just saying that like, you know, those things did happen and you kind of just have to wonder sometimes. Yeah. It's really uh it's, I just keep thinking about I'm like if the US government wrote Winds of Change, I would that's a story I would love to see. I would like who did they hire to write it? Who... Well, you got to listen to the podcast. It's yeah. It, okay, here's here's what I'll say about this podcast. It is very fascinating to listen to. However, the way that the host says CIA will get on your nerves, and also the host always refers to the band Scorpions as the Scorpions. I knew and that is not that. their name, and that is not their name. Oh, how are you doing up? podcast all right well i don't know i don't know sometimes i don't know what the fuck i'm talking about so (laughs) i guess i cannot throw stones in my glass house well yeah then then let's talk a little bit more about uh you know what what's going on in, in your in your mind uh what would you do to bring such a thing back and and i will say there have been video games that that came out that were you know tie ins to the movie Okay, so, uh, and uh, first of all, I should also make the point that uh, in the novel Ready Player One, Mm -hmm. so uh, in the novel Ready Player One, there's a whole sequence where the main character has to reenact war games. Because it was a favorite movie of War Games has a big influence on Ready Player One. And I say the book because the movie is an abomination. Um, In yeah, uh, in the movie, it's changed 
to The Shining, which I think like I feel like huh. the reasoning for that is that it was like Warner Brothers and and the rights and all that, but it still doesn't make sense because Ready Player One was a movie geared more towards young audiences. And why would you not use the Goonies, which Steven Spielberg produced, so on and so forth. So um, I, it's another one I could go on about is all the bad decisions made in adapting Ready Player One. But so War Games uh, featured heavily in, in the book. Uh, I do think that because of the relevance of it, like cybersecurity, even though uh you know things have evolved in terms of technology cybersecurity is still a very real thing and uh you know more i think more of a danger i feel like it's you know more accessible you've got more hackers out there and we've you know we've all you know read about the bot farms and things like that so i think that having um that that a remake of war games and it would I, I think it would really it would have to be a loose not in terms of the story but loose in terms of the circumstances um you know you're it, it's you're not having someone who's seeing a magazine ad uh for new video games like trying to get a sneak peek at like double dribble uh-huh. uh you know, we've it's evolved. So I don't know what the detail what the details would be, what the specifics would be, but similar, like you know, same concept of a uh, you, you know, a computer savvy kid who uh accidentally hacks it. And the funny thing is, like, actually, like trying to hack into a game, uh, like a a game manufacturer's like website uh-huh. and trying to get a sneak peek at a new game actually real isn't that uh unrealistic. No, not at all. So it's actually still very, very relevant. So uh I would just have uh I I would update this and I think most of all it, it really I'm not I don't normally advocate for like a remake just to diversify the cast, but I would remake this movie and diversify the cast. Sure. Okay. Like there's it doesn't need to be like like the main character doesn't have to be male doesn't have to be white doesn't have, like the main character like that's the great thing it's open to uh it's really open it's a movie that you could remake and i think you could remake um you know with honoring and respecting the source material but you don't have to stick to any of the specifics really yeah. you're just following the same plot uh, Would you outline. set it present day? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think I I, I think I would. Uh, I wouldn't set it. I wouldn't do the eighties. Uh, I would either set it present day or maybe like early two thousands. Okay. So so twenty years ago, and that's to say twenty years ago, and we're talking about early two thousands. That's weird. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Yeah. 
I said it early 2000s, you know, maybe have like, you know, great soundtrack with like the strokes and the white stripes and the hives. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, that's I, I, I don't really have any other specifics. I don't I don't I can't really think of who I would cast because who I would cast in this are probably actors whose names I don't know. Uh, Oh, you know who, who would have been a good David? He might be too old now. Um, We talked about him recently. His name is just, Skylar Gismondo. Oh yeah. He's great. Yeah. Cause I also, I, I watched some Santa Clarita die. I, you know, was familiar with him from righteous gemstones but then I watched some Santa Clarita. Santa Clarita Diet, Book Smart, uh, Licorice Pizza. He's great. He would like I, I I don't know how you feel about like about him being maybe a little too old uh, for the part. But and of he's course, he's just too good as a teenager. He's also <laughs> that's also not really like let's diversify the cast. I know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, but that's that's kind of what I'm thinking is like, it would just be, it would be fun to, and like, I don't want to see a legacy sequel. I don't want to see like war games, the return and like, you know, drag, drag out like Matthew Broderick and Dabney Coleman and Ali Sheedy. I, I don't need to, I don't need to see, I don't want to say, Oh yes, we've got this problem. And David Lightman, remember him. He's the only one who can solve this problem. So let's get him. Uh, you know, I just, I just kind of want to see a war game, straight up like war games remake. It would almost be like the the RoboCop remake, but hopefully better received. But the RoboCop remake took a lot of liberties, changed a lot of things, but followed the same basic story arc. Yeah. So that's what I would do, John. What say you? All right, Dan. So I've noticed that. A lot of times when you are doing your thought experiment first, you, on occasion, and I'd say it's probably more often than not, say, I don't want to see blank. And then my idea is that blank. (laughs) And then I somehow get you most of the time to come around on the idea a little bit. So... Allow me to do that just just a tad. So, all right. It is present day. David Lightman is the head of cybersecurity for the government. I don't know. I'm for the, for the de- defense department. I don't know exactly what the the specifics are. He is about to retire and needs to and there's nobody that he has on staff who could even remotely come close to being you know, where he is in his level of cybersecurity knowledge. So he initiates the Whopper protocol in which it's, and this is, uh, this is part the last Starfighter. Uh, I'd say that there's, there's elements of of a lot of different things, but what he essentially does is he creates a scenario where uh, a, a group of people, that's a group of hackers out there would be enticed to uh, do some hacking, not knowing that it is, you know, routing towards the government. And they themselves get into some sort of scenario where they are uh, auditioning for the this position, essentially, by... Uh, <laughs> 
<laughs> by go- by kind of going through a war game scenario. Wow, never have I jumped so quickly in my mind from Live Free or Die Hard to Willy it's also, Wonka. It's those were the two other movies that I was thinking of. <laughs> Live Free or Die Hard and Willy Wonka. Absolutely, yes. Yeah. So uh there you have it. So he's so that we're like David's basically the Falcon. <laughs> yeah, essentially. Yeah. Uh, but it's it's a uh it's a completely signed off on and approved situation. But of course there's going to be a an element to it where something actually does happen and it goes awry and you know Lightman has to work with maybe this entire group of hackers who are in the running for this to uh, put an end to it. Maybe one of those hackers ha- like was a spy. Maybe. Maybe he was an operative for for, you know, for another government, who knows. Interesting you know? how you said he. Oh, well, uh mm, Dan, Dan, No, you Dan, called Dan, me Dan, out Dan, on Dan, it. Dan, so- Dan. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> I my woke card is revoked. Yeah. Um so yeah, no, I don't know. Maybe just because I'm still thinking of live for your die hard. So um here's what I want to see. We all want to see Matthew Broderick and his tiny circular glasses with maybe a big beard. You know, something where he's just like, you know, he's still got his his uh vivacious personality from yeah. you know 1983. But you know, we're 40 years later. Uh he's you know, he's at that age where it's mm-hmm. time to uh to to move out to Vista Del Mar and put on the Tommy Bahama. <laughs> Enjoy a nice nice retirement. Yeah. Uh I mean, yeah, no. I I think that like in terms of a legacy sequel for war games that's how i would do it <laughs> or that's like yeah that's i can't think of a better way to do a, a legacy sequel for for war games and that sounds interesting and then you get you know you introduce your your hot young cast your your Meyer, miles teller whatever he can hack with miles teller on. miles teller is going nowhere near this no yeah no <laughs> heard some things no i don't i don't i don't care for the man Miles Teller, no. if you're listening, shoot me an email. We can we can talk it out. But we can uh, work this out. Miles Teller, if you want to, you know, clear the air, you're more than welcome to to come on. Um, but yeah, ooh, we might throw a chair. I know there's going to be a uh, a naysayer who disagrees with the entire yes. idea, who tries to sabotage it. I'm thinking yes. like a a Peter McNichol type. Oh, really? I was just thinking Sarah Jessica Parker because I think they're a package deal now. Uh, <laughs> I'm kidding. Um, I'm kidding. Yeah. I'm no, kidding. I'm trying to find I'm trying to find a place for her in this. Uh, she could be one of the she hackers. The Why not? Let her What's be up? The president. Oh, she could be one of the hackers. Yeah. Oh, interesting. And you know what? There I go again. Strike two, because here I was thinking just younger hackers. But why wouldn't you have ages, Dan? I know. Oh, what is wrong with me? Uh, <laughs> man, huh. I'm questioning everything now. But 
Okay, I'm 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 thinking of this idea, and I'm like, yeah, I'm I'm imagining if I saw the trailer for it, would I be th- would I be rolling my eyes, or would I be thinking like, oh, okay, all right. Well, okay, just to kind of uh, go back to what we were talking about at the beginning of the episode, mm-hmm. I just watched Jurassic World Dominion because it is streaming on Peacock, which I had signed up for, and it was very eye rolly in the way that it would introduce or like reintroduce our Jurassic Park characters. And we have Laura Dern doing a lot of like Jurassic Park callback moves that are very cringy. And it's like, that is such a, I don't even know if you'd call it fan service because I don't think that a fan really cares enough to see them doing an impression of themselves from the early 90s. But that's exactly, I mean, that's that's what it is. That's that, I mean, that, like, that's how I felt a lot watching uh, uh, Star Wars um, The Force Awakens. Uh-huh. I felt a lot during that, like, like a nudge, nudge, wink, wink. Oh, like, yeah. You know, well, yeah, I heard Tashi Station closed down. <laughs> well, I think that there's also a a large element of the marketability of these movies to make you consciously be looking for Easter eggs. Yeah. And yeah. it's like that is part of the movie experience is finding all of the Easter eggs, which takes the fun out of the movie itself because if you're just trying to watch it just to watch it, then it's distracting. I agree. Thanks. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, I I I've I felt that way. It's just like it it takes away from from movies and I guess it, I guess also recently especially with the passing of of Wolfgang Peterson uh yeah. and thinking about the types of movies he made that were like like you know summer blockbusters but were like in, like in the line of fire and Air Force yeah. One. You know, Dan, uh, something that I, I was thinking of mentioning earlier and then we just started talking about something else. Uh, as uh, our, well, here's some information for our listeners. Dan and I are regular players of the game Wordle. And I, Dan, Dan I don't know if you play any of the other Wordle-like games where it's like once a day, try to figure out this kind of a thing. But there's one that I do called Framed. It's framed.wtf. And it shows you stills from movies. And you have like six chances or whatever to get the movie. And you kind of, you go on, it shows you a picture. And of course, they're like, they start off more obscure. And then at the end, it's like, all right, well, if you don't get it by this last one, then you just straight up, we'll never get it kind of a thing. And so um, they did do one for Beverly Hills Cop, which I got on the first Mm -hmm. guess. And it was a scene from, and this is like, you know, you can't really go back and play the old ones. So I'm just going to say, but it's like, you know, a scene from the very beginning where it's like the truck chase. And, you know, it's like, if you know, you know. But then like once you get past it and you see Eddie Murphy wearing the Tiger's jacket, then it's like, Oh yeah, I think this is that Beverly Hills Cop movie or something. Or if you've only seen right. it one time a long time ago, then it's like, oh right, yeah, yeah. But uh, I was very Cop happy movie. to get that one on one. And then um, 
Oh, there was another one. Dan, what movies were you just mentioning? Oh, In the Line of Fire. We were about Jurassic. In the, no, um, Air Force One. Air Force uh, One. So Air Force One, uh, there was the, the first one I wasn't too sure about, but then the second one was something about like the rear like hatch on like, it was like an airplane control. Um, and then it was like, oh yeah, well, that's gotta be Air Force One. And then the next photo was a, you know, the plane <laughs> and it's, you know, President of the United States of America or whatever on it. So, um Anyway, it's it's a fun game. I I enjoy it. It's it's very low stakes. I I don't think that it records a streak at all. So there's no like pressure to, you know, keep a streak going. Right. Okay. Oh, good. Yeah, that's part of it. I can't handle the pressure on Wordle when I get it's, down to my sixth guess. Oh, yeah. Brutal. I mean, hey, it doesn't happen that often, but when <laughs> it does, it's painful. Well, so, yes. So, uh, in, in order for us to talk about what we're going to be doing on our next episode, Dan, do you want to give a little bit of backstory? Yes. So, uh, and and uh, I I hope uh, I, I should feel like I should have mentioned this earlier, but um, as a uh, public school teacher in Seattle, I am currently on strike. Um, Seattle educators are on strike. Uh, because uh, Seattle Public Schools is uh, unfairly kind of insisting that we overcrowd our classrooms and put students in our classrooms who uh, who need more support and putting them into large classes without adequate teacher support. And we're kind of saying, you know, enough is enough uh, and demanding that we that we have smaller class sizes, uh, um, you know, better staffing, um, you know, special ed staff to to support those students in those classes. So that's uh, pretty much why we're striking. There's there's, uh, you know, a few reasons, but that's that's the big one is, uh, you know, we kind of want to be able to do our jobs to the best of our abilities and not just be, you know, a, a drop off and, you know, have a classroom of 40 kids and which is really 40, like 40 kids. Yeah. Um, you can have a class class of 40 kids in it and you have a few kids who have, uh, you know, they get special ed services. They're probably like a full size class, like a full, like large classroom is is a large class. It's not going to be good for them anyway. So, um, you know, when, when you're kind of faced with the position where if you continue to do your job, you're sending the message that the unfair conditions uh, under which you're being placed uh, are okay. And the, uh, the powers that be get that, get that message. Uh, you kind of have no, no choice, but to strike. And it's what, it's what we did. And it's what the newsies did. Yes, yes, back, yes. Back in 
back in night i forget what year it takes place back in the 1920s or 30s i want to say during the great depression i think it was the 30s yeah so i mean i know when the great depression was i just i'm not 100 <laughs> sure when newsies takes place but yeah so um you know uh in in honor and respect to the uh to the labor movement and not just educators uh but all you know organized labor uh, who are willing to, you know, stand up and uh, demand fair and safe working conditions? Uh, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna do Newsies because, uh, you know, that's gonna be a fun one, starring Academy Award winners Christian Bale and Robert Duvall, and uh, we get to see Anne Margaret again. Get to see Anne Margaret again. Uh, it's gonna be a very different type of role than she had in Magic. We're oh, going to yes. see Bill Pullman. We're going to see uh, Max Casella. Yes. Mm-hmm. Good old Vinny Del Pino. <laughs> from Disney yeah, Hammer. so uh, it's going to be it's going to be great. I'm really looking forward to um, to revisiting this one. I haven't seen it in a long time. Yeah, it's been uh, a while. I'm going to try to get my daughter to watch it with me. Yeah, she, she'll like hey, it. It's a musical. Usually that's when kids, uh, you know, get into it. So, uh, you know, we'll see. We'll see how she how she takes to it. But uh, looking forward to watching to watching Newsies. Hopefully, not having the like King of New York song stuck in my head, like like it is right now. Okay. Well, yeah. on that note, Dan, as you are uh, escaping the FBI, I wish you a good journey. <laughs> good journey. <laughs> <laughs> 